enough. I've heard it once. Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball. That's the podcast where I, Fox Lee, she, her, and I, Talon Lee, he, him, watch every movie in the Disney Animated Canon in sequence. And we have finally made it to the end of a long road of disappointing media here <laughs> with 2021's Encanto. Uh, yeah, this, well, uh, uh, this was a, this was an interesting one. Hmm, definitely complex. In a complex. way that a lot of these movies don't get to be. Complex is an excellent word for this. Ironically, I think it would have been significantly better if it were more complex. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's at about a 7 out of 10 complex, and I think this would have been really beautiful as a 10 out of 10 complex. Whereas I think this could have benefited from being a... Four out of ten complex. <laughs> you know what? I'd settle for that as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like the issue is being almost really good, and it would have been better if it hadn't been trying as hard, or if it had totally nailed what it was trying for. But it didn't get to either of those ends. Before we talk about the movie at length, though, we should make sure that first we cover the plot in 60 seconds. Oh, goodness, yes. And it's your turn. Oh, goodness, no! (laughs) Alright, alright, I can do this, I can do this. It's not that complicated, actually. Like, there's there's a lot more songs than stuff happens in this movie. You you can very easily summarize the movie with area-privileged family is momentarily inconvenienced, yes. (laughs) Okay, okay. Alright. Your time starts now. Alright. Uh, shoot, fuck. Uh, I demand a redo! (laughs) This is the story of a multi-generational family who uh, acquire immense magical gifts during their matriarch's moment of terrible trauma, which have then been passed down through her family line, uh, and around them has been built up a magical safe haven, which must be protected and sustained at all costs. Our main character doesn't have a magic gift, and this spooks the fuck out of everyone. Uh, so she's looking for a way to, to prove that she still belongs in this family and, and to uh, desperately find acceptance from them because they're kind of dicks about it. Uh, mostly grandma. Grandma's a dick. Uh, but don't worry, our main character's actual power is gonna be the power to reveal how everyone who did get a gift is actually unhappy as well uh and isn't it good that we can all understand what it's like to have an anxiety disorder and be overworked and unfulfilled uh until our protagonist manages to tear down the foundations of of everything we thought was important and rebuild something new and stronger in its place I wasn't timing shit. Oh, <laughs> yay! I did it. Woo! Yay me! I'm special. <laughs> so, uh, any prior experience with this movie? Nah, this is like a year old. Yeah, I wasn't gonna go see a movie in 2021. The next movie in the animated canon comes out in four months. So, yeah. What is the next movie in the animated canon? I don't care. I. I usually know the answer to that, but I guess I've been out of the loop so far and just kind of stopped giving too much of a shit. So, no prior experience. Yep. Uh, do we have a double take? 
Uh, no, because there is no double. Mm, mm. So there were no take. Mm. Which means we're going straight to the egg store. Or product of its time. Any notes? One of the most notable ways that this is a product of its time is that this is a movie that was started while Moana was in development and was massively impacted by the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I can see that. As far as Yikes Door stuff goes, I'm going to try and be careful about the way I discuss this movie because there is a dimension to this movie that is very much connected to my experience and which I have feelings about and there is a dimension that is very much not. (laughs) where this is a movie about Colombian characters that are explicitly divorced from conventional whiteness. This isn't about an immigrant family in Mexico um, or uh, America. This isn't about the story of stuff that I necessarily can immediately recognize. And I understand that a lot of the family structures and the behavior is very resonant and very meaningful to people of the background in question and all the connected backgrounds. It's one of the things about uh, about racist oppression where we've kind of just thrown all of the people from even the southern parts of Texas in one big bucket <laughs> and gone, you're all Latinx and therefore you all have one connected experience. Mm. I, I think it was, uh, was Saludos Amigos where I spent the whole thing referring to mexico as south america yeah so like that should i've learned a lot about this even since beginning this podcast let's say that yeah and and the reason i bring this up is because there are ways in which a large body of people would look at this movie and think these characters are fine this is like my family this is healing this is connected this is great i love this and I am a white guy standing on the outside going, this is a family of monsters, burn it all down. <laughs> and I don't want my position to be seen as attacking that other one. There are points of resonance here which we do not have access to. Yes. And that's not a problem with the movie. But the only way we can address it is through the experiences we've had which connect to matriarchal families and yeah intergenerational trauma you could just say Tra- it's intergenerational yeah. <laughs> trauma. give your descendants anxiety day i look i this is this is the thing this is a story about an incredibly shitty grandma who gets forgiven and the family is healed through that process whereas i just have the story of an incredibly shitty grandma it's it's a heavy one yeah so yeah i mean there's it it's tricky to interface with because we don't know what we don't know there yeah. could be if if we were watching stuff where we f- where we were familiar with the trope space we would be getting cues that might be invisible to people who weren't saturated with whiteness oh yeah it's, it's just like how we can watch queer stuff you know there's so many different <laughs> things we can watch and go oh, they're, they're, that's super queer and people who don't know the the internal culture are like what the fuck are you talking about like no r- really it's very queer. She ha- she owns a U-Haul. There's a meaning to that. <laughs> right. So, you know, the point is that we realize there's information here we don't have. And because that is so closely connected to the emotional resonance of these characters, uh, it 
maybe it would make us feel differently about what's going on here. Maybe that information would change our perspectives. But we don't have it, so... I mean, basically, this is just a big disclaimer saying sorry, we're not trying to insult anyone for whom this kind of situation is emotionally resonant and touching and or just you know not upsetting in the same way there is a idea of an escalated reality a a hyper real and it is entirely possible to view this movie as small modest family problems that are reasonable and that the parents respond to reasonably amplified up in bigness to how they feel and that's why in this movie they are represented by ways of behaving that are about how big they feel but much as with uh zooming in and zooming out again and what information you gain and what information you lose i don't have the same feeling of oh this is just like the time with my abuelita it's instead for me much more like observing this as if it is the real and then trying to draw that back to what i know is real i mean it's hard to abstract away your experience of incredibly negative matriarchies and family power structures yeah. and parental expectations and intergenerational abuse. Yeah, it, it's, it is ultimately a story about loving complexly, which I, you know, that's what I said when my grandmother died. Anyway, uh, so... No yeah. real stuff at the Yikes door. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, not a lot of Yikes going on. Uh, I think it's noteworthy that they deliberately abstract away which particular insurrection and or conquest mm. is going on that drives uh, Grandma out of her home when she's much younger. Yeah. Um, which, in in another period of Disney, I might have thought was like, uh, yeah, you know, you're just trying to sweep that under the rug so you can avoid naming names and actually calling out the people responsible for this. But in this just kind of reads as this happened so often and so frequently from varying sources that it's almost better to clump them together as a just a faceless violence. A thing I liked about it as well is that it was a way of divorcing this movie from whiteness. So that mm. white people would not be looking at this and going, ah, you see, this is because of this war that we are this part of. And that's yeah. our thread to the story. That the story instead goes, no, shut up, sit down. You are going to pay attention to this family in their lives, in their place, in their history. You don't need to know the the oil robber bar baron bullshit happening over there. That's why it's like this. This whole thing starts with a magic fucking candle. And because it's not about the... the fucking oil story it doesn't matter yeah why and, these and I don't people know. were displaced it matters that they were and they had these experiences yeah and i just want to i just want to underscore i didn't like mention oil because obviously it was no, related actually, to the, like pick, i just pulling something out of the air pick a commodity silver oil cocaine something colombia's gotten it it's it, we, we've been really bad to colombia <laughs> I say we. I'm not I, Spanish. <laughs> I, yeah, for once, this is less on the shoulders of the British Empire than than other empires. But you know, I mean, whiteness suffuses and uh, disam and uh, ambiguates. Yeah, it is a fog. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I I was kind of delighted to find out that this was actually like a we just went off and now we have this magical haven kind of thing because I went into this 
having seen recent Disney and Pixar expecting it to be an immigration story, I thought we were going to modern day America with these characters and, and having like a magical pocket of reality within that. But no, we're just, this is not fucking American. Yeah. Or at least it's as un-American as something written, produced, funded, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sold the... to America can be. But still, that's remarkably un-American for a Disney movie. I kind of wonder if there's like some Colombian millennial podcasting right now about, and look at how they, the great empire decided <laughs> it's now it's time to chew up my culture and vomit it into my lap. <laughs> I'm sure there, once again, the, the language think... and the implications that we the the meta text of this movie that we don't have access to uh i i am sure they could poke holes in this the same way that we were enraged at the rescuers down under <laughs> i just about a glimpse into an alternate universe where i had the bad judgment to try and do an accent to represent colombian talent. oh hell no <laughs> like oh, oh. dear god <laughs> I, like I couldn't even tell you what a Colombian accent sounds like. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I. No one's under the illusion that that I am aware of this stuff, so I may as well just fess up. That until you mention it on this podcast, after having looked it up, I didn't know we were in Colombia for this movie. I knew we were somewhere in Latin America, mm. but I knew I did not have the expertise to say where. In the song where Irene is like flowering everyone. Uh, they mentioned, the, like, one of the lyrics is just, I love Columbia. Ah, so that's how I took my guess. Which I would have missed because it's, hey, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda again, so these lyrics go at a million miles an hour. Yeah. Talon watches with subtitles on. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they sure Lin-Manuel Miranda'd it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, what do you think about how it looked? Ah. Mmm. It's a, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to exercise in loving complexity. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, on one hand, we're seeing shit we never get to see in these movies. Quacky! Cool. There's, I mean, when they pull wildlife, we see capybaras, for fuck's sake. And a tapir! We see toucans, we see tapirs, we see, as you say, quati. Um We see flowers we don't get to see. We see colors that would have no place in other movies. Like, it's vibrant and beautiful and delightful a lot of the time um the characters aside from obviously being designed to actually look colombian still do look like 3d disney characters in that inescapable way that they all fucking do is it isabella the girl blessed with hotness whose whole thing yeah yeah she's one who just basically looks like they've reskinned elsa <laughs> well i mean she she's an elsa like fortnite skin <laughs> She doesn't look like Elsa. Like, not... I, I remember... You You probably remember me being a little bit cranky at Moana because she inherited some of the, like, 3D face structure of Elsa. Yeah. Uh, like, more than I would have appreciated to see. And I don't think that's a problem here. But, once again, mouth shapes and, once again, body language. There are parts in her song where she moves exactly the way that Elsa moves. Which is also exactly the way Rapunzel moves. Which is probably also the way just a Broadway actress doing a an I want, you know, third act, smash it to the heavens kind of song uh, acts. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's probably because you have an actor's face for reference, but unless they really get into it, 
you're still going back to the same stable of uh, of, of uh, stage movements. Mm-hmm. Which does lead me into the other thing that I don't love about this movie, which is it's... With the exception of some bits. Like, we get some adventure scenes where we're checking out bits of the house, that magic house that's bigger. It's a cool house, actually. Magic house that's bigger on the inside, uh, and you get some, you know, Tomb Raider kind of, uh, you know, light swashbucklery. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's be generous and call it that. <laughs> which looks more or less like normal Disney shit, but the rest of the time, this could be a stage musical, and part of me thinks... It was made to be easily translated into a stage <laughs> musical, perhaps. And will definitely become a stage musical. <laughs> and a lot of the songs and the staging of them, and even like the lighting and the blocking and everything, mm. is really stage musically. And I don't like that, because I... But I was never like a stage musicals kid. This is actually kind of where I, I had some friction with my teachers in school, because like... What you can do in a school is a panto. What you can do in a school is a musical. But the kind of acting and the kind of storytelling I was interested in was cinematic. It was more or less realism without the heightened everything that you need on a stage. Yeah. The notion is that movies get to be close and intimate. They can look at a character's face very directly. Intimate. That's a great way. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's not my word. That's... I think Probably I've seen sideways. No, no, no. I've seen like a dozen different theater channels talking ah. about the difference between movies and theater. Like it, it's just one of those things. Movies get to be close. Theater gets to be distant. Um, theater can take in the whole picture. Cinema can force you to focus on one point. It's why there's so many more twist endings in cinema <laughs> than there are in theater because one of the things theater is good at as a story is giving you this forced perspective where. A character could be seeing their solo and absolutely, you know, throwing their opinions out there on one side of the stage, but the other people who are part of the part of the next scene are standing there. You can see how they react. Yes, it's true. In in a movie, you can just cut those people out if you don't need to see them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that's a great example of the kind of blocking that I'm talking about. Like we mostly have the cast on screen doing big dance numbers and. Uh, you know, providing background and voices and just... This is a really high-energy movie, isn't it? Yeah, it flew by. <laughs> like, for any complaints I have about this movie, it didn't overstay its welcome. It was remarkably quick. That's fair. Um, I actually, yeah, I, I could have done with more of it, to be honest. Like, the point where, spoiler, the house comes down, um, felt like halfway through to me, really. <laughs> Yeah, like the resolution after that was remarkably quick. Don't we have to do something to fix it now? No, apparently not. I mean, we do, but that something is literally a single conversation. Yeah, but that's... I mean, it, it scans when you realize that the the screaming match with Grandma is the boss fight. Like if if you go into that, like if you go into that expecting, or if you just immediately understand that that is the climax, then I don't think it would seem weird. But I didn't, mm. so. Once it was passed, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Oh, fuck. Oh, we're done. Okay. Oh, it's Dunham on time. Oh, okay. All right. Big song number. That's, I guess that's going to tie into my main thesis. So I'll leave it at that for now. What about you? Any visual notes? I liked the color. I liked the color palette they used. That's kind of all I got to say. <laughs> I don't feel nearly as uh, intimately informed. <laughs> 
about like the making and the process and the theatricality of it. Um, I remembered thinking, I think I said aloud watching it, like, I like how it looks. That's really just broadly the color. Um, cast wise, I really like the fact that the family is a whole range of different skin tones and skin colors because that's what families are like in like Colombia throughout its history that it's been being messed with. So, like, that's nice and it doesn't need any kind of comment. And, mm, and the range of accents that went with that, like, yeah. I couldn't have placed any of them in particular, but it's just refreshing to to see a variety represented where you know there should be one. Variety of hair as well. Yeah. The the tech for hair, they've gotten really good at it. <laughs> Disney's finally learned to do non-white hair. Now they're going to go nuts with it. Good. Good. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I had for that. In the voice cast, I didn't write them all down this time. I'm going to assume, for once, we don't have any yikesy notes about whitewashing or anything like that because mm. disney at this point has so many incredibly talented actors of appropriate backgrounds that they could look to uh the big one i would say is that our main character is voiced by the actress who played rosa on brooklyn 99 oh is she yeah huh. man she <laughs> it's funny to to have rosa be the only role of hers i've seen on screen because the rest of the time she's been doing such meek roles that I never recognize. <laughs> One of the jokes they do in late Brooklyn Nine-Nine is they have her use her natural voice as part of a disguise and no one believes it's her. <laughs> like, no one believes that that's, her, that's a real voice. Everyone's like, that's a fake voice you made up. That sounds about right. Anyway, uh, yeah, there is, I, I did find one white guy in the credits. Oh yeah? Alan Tudyk is the toucan. <laughs> ah, yes. Alan Frank Welker Tudyk. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the music was Lin-Manuel Miranda started working on it around. He was working on Moana. I can't believe I didn't notice that until, like, halfway through. I was like, oh, hang on, this profoundly distinctive music style. Yeah, yeah, in a way, like, I'm I'm a little torn on this because I feel a tide turning around Lin-Manuel Miranda as I watch more people of, like, he has hit a level of success where I now see people of color saying, hey, here's the thing about this guy that sucks that doesn't feel like they're that, like they're all like holding their breath going no we can't we can't make uh, uh one one you know we can't make a person of color who's in this delicate position have to answer for these things yet just just give it some time give it some space and apparently now that's starting to turn a little i don't know and for me the thing with him is that a lot of the songs he's done are theater songs which is to say they are so linked to the performance you don't like i wouldn't listen to them as songs in and of themselves they are songs that need the narrative they are part of to make sense which is you know you want that um in in the context of them being part of a musical but consider that part of your world and and um uh, uh um i forgot the name of the song from aladdin the love song that i think is boring whole new world whole new world Mm-hmm. Lots of world. Lots of world. Yeah. Um, and even Whistle While You Work. Those are songs that when you extract the song and listen to it on its own, it is a recognizable piece. Like, you can go, oh, I know what this kind of song is for. I, I know why I would listen to this. I would listen to this casually if I had the right mood for it. Maybe less so with part of your world, because the lyrics are a little... Oh, wait, yes, it's got that section about feet. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't remember it that strongly. But the point is that... I think that re- that there is a, a particular type of craft where the movie can't work without the song. 
but the song on its own is a good song that doesn't need the movie to justify it. And Lin-Manuel Miranda in Moana especially, and really in this, doesn't make that kind of song. To be clear, I made fun of you, but I totally agree. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's exactly why I like the music in this movie a bit less. Like, yeah. I enjoyed listening to all of these, but the the genre of Disney song that I really latch onto is the one that is works perfectly in context of the movie, but is also uh, poetic enough in its language or general enough in its application that it works just fine singing it on its own especially and if you you know happen to be a 12 year old who who is feeling like the world is against her yeah and and so for example um let it go actually handles this really well right, yeah there's a reason let it go became completely fucking ubiquitous and this is not me saying he is doing a bad job because his songs don't do this it's it's definitely intention it's not like it's not like people trying to decipher the end of Inception, like oh they ran out of movie, <laughs> oh they just kept the movie going for just a little longer. We'd know what happened at the top fell over. He's not made a mistake here. He's made exactly what he intended yeah. to make. And uh, I assume if you are of the opposite taste to me, and you prefer things to be intensely specific, yeah, that this is glorious. Yeah, and, and imagine if you like, for example, were the person who was going to these shows and seeing them as physical performances and having all that sense memory. To then have the song that so completely can only be of that moment must be amazing. I, I imagine that's really cool. I guess. You know what? Uh, I, I will withdraw that judgment for Luis's song, though. I think it's pretty well applies generally, probably. Mm. But it's it's the it's the things where like in the middle of a in the middle of a, a line there'll be a break and a bit of natural dialogue as part of it. Even though it's with the rhythm, which, by the way, that's that is very much showing off. It's very cool. <laughs> it, it's very much like you're know, playing with the cadence of natural words in a really clever way. I can understand that if I was good enough to do it, I would do it in everything and I mean, be it's insufferable. Just essentially, hip hop, right? Yeah, uh, he he does it a lot. He, he, there's a lot of that in In the Heights, which is where I first noticed it. And I'm like, Hang on, this is tangibly different. I don't recognize that, but I assume it's another of his projects. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and yeah, it's it's very. I, I've not even listened to very much of his stuff, but I would consider that sort of the most immediately recognizable element of his songs uh, that I have heard. So yeah, and he also is not super keen on clean like lead-ins and lead-outs. No, like yeah. a very naturalistic entry into a, a song number. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the best I would have access to at it like with the kind of media i participate in he's probably going to be the absolute best at doing it um in the way he does it and i hope that that doesn't mean everyone now thinks that that's how you should do it <laughs> we better all impersonate him yeah because there are different ways to do it and i like the other ways better but that's not to say he's doing anything bad mm, do i like the other ways better see I like Let It Go, but otherwise I don't think I like Frozen's music particularly much. What other I music is there? <laughs> definitely enjoy Moana more mm. musically. Yeah, Moana's amazing. Um, and, and Moana does another one of those things playing with the language where um, the transition between uh, uh, singing in Polynesian and singing in English to represent a cut in the visuals and you don't need to watch 
the you don't need to watch the the song for that to make sense. Um, and also Tangled's music was eh. It's pretty eh. You're trying to think of a single song number from Tangled, aren't you? No, I'm trying to think of a song from Tangled that's in Tangled. Because I went almost on the oh, defensive. You started thinking about all the cartoons. The, song from <laughs> the, the songs of the cartoons. I, I think I like them better on average, I must say. Like, I don't, I don't dislike their big love song or anything. It's very pretty. Uh, it's very pretty, but it's also pretty forgettable. Yeah. It's, it's up there with Whole New World. It's doing its job. <laughs> the song that is stamped on our generation's memory uh, irascibly. So is the Venga bus. That's not a mark of quality. <laughs> no, but I did describe it as forgettable. <laughs> and then you grouped it in with a song which is, for most millennials, unforgettable. Uh, well, I mean, we've pretty much also just gotten into talking about production quality and cast and crew and all that kind of shit. So you got any other notes for that? No, no. And it's because we are now circling around to how much we intend to talk about a grand thesis such as it would. We sure are. After you. I have no notes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Grand Thesis. This movie is doing more, is trying to do more than it can do. Um, do you remember when we, I promise I don't hate it this much, but do you remember when we watched Meet the Robinsons? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and a big part of the problem I had with that movie is that it was a story that hung on how much they could make you fall in love with their weird little quirky little, uh, you know, oddball go-getter family. Uh, and they couldn't. Because you met them all for three seconds. And you didn't care about any of them. And they were written by a phoebe. <laughs> yes. They also all sucked. And the characters in this don't suck like the ones in Robinson sucked. But we have the same problem. We get introduced to them at lightning speed. Mm -hmm. uh, we discover their problems and deal with them in the space of a single song for like all of them. It's like it's a, a lightning tour of like, hey, I'm going to poke you until you expose your problem. Oh, I exposed my problem. Oh, well, and feeling slightly better about it. And it's just not long enough to get the sense of emotion that you would need to believe that the suffering of any of these magical wizards matters very much yeah like it's i i really want to take it at face value it's trying to be lighthearted about it which is an issue already because my <laughs> you know i don't have personal family trauma but i have a very close relationship with someone who does so my reaction to this is also, I don't like that you're making light of this. Well, the other thing is, it's very much about intergenerational trauma. Yeah, but it feels like it's trying to be kind of breezy about the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. The fact the fact that I find it personally angering isn't even necessary for that. It's This is trying to be about intergenerational trauma, but, you know, in a light, breezy way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the climax of this is a screaming match. Where our main character says everything that needs to be said to grandma and, like, hashtag she was right and she was right to say so. Uh, so, like, it's not like they don't realize the seriousness of this, but the movie perceives it entirely as 
you know, we both have valid perspectives and the enemy is the misunderstanding, rather than we both have valid trauma, but the enemy is the person who inflicted that trauma on the rest of her family. Mm. I don't, I'm not saying grandma's totally unsympathetic, but the resolution is entirely about uh, both sides recognizing uh, both the suffering and the nobility, and it just does not feel remotely equal to me. Not even a tiny bit. So the fact that the film wants to handle it so lightly and in such a not messy, not traumatic way, right up until that one fight is just... I don't know, it fails to resonate with me emotionally in the way that it would need to for me to enjoy this movie. And for me to feel like uh, Mirabelle. Mirabelle? Mirabelle. I think so. I feel really bad that I don't remember most of the names. I don't. There's so many characters and we get introduced to them all in like 12 seconds. It's so hard. And I'm sorry. I can remember Luis's name because I like himbos. They're. They're extremely uh, utilitarian shapes of characters. So you don't need to remember the name of the one with good hearing to know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, the superpowers almost work against them in that regard, don't they? Like, it's much easier to remember what they can do than who they are. And, wow, that's... You have led me to a perfect phrasing of my issue with this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I... Yeah, it's... You know, there, there were great moments in there. All the pieces are there. Like the, the sister's song that, hey, a family experience I can address better than you can for once. Yeah. Like, there were real moments in there. I, you'll never guess. I was the unpopular nerd compared to my popular sister. But as it turned out, she wasn't really ever popular girl. She was just blending in because that's what she felt she was able to do and she wanted people to like her more than she needed to express herself uh, unconditionally. Whereas I am the exact opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like that, that, there was something really quite real there and, and I genuinely love the moment where she popped up a fucking cactus and I saw a vision of this character taking a different shape and it was all very cool. But, you know, then we were done with her character development bit, so she went away. On that note, you might remember my reaction when that song started was, I'm not here for this. Yeah. Which is because I ultimately do see this movie as being about a bunch of wizards with free healthcare and free homes (laughs) complaining about things being complicated in their family situation. But I did change my mind by the end of that song. But also, point two... Have her be gay, you fucking cowards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my god. If you just had the courage to, like, gay or ace or just, like, I don't actually want to, I don't think I'm a family person. I don't think I want to have babies, ever. Have her be gay is the most basic first (laughs) babby step. Sure, it'd be great to have her pull out an ace flag or something like that later, but the point is that just showing that it's not just a matter of, like, I don't choose him. Show categorical wrongness to the role that she's being sorted into rather than I want a symmetrical art that I that I uh, get attention for to be the thing 
Like, it is... Don't give us a little shift to the left. Yeah, she... Essentially, she is complaining that she... Like, and this... this does sound like I'm downplaying her whole situation, which I'm trying to not do, even though I do but have that But the movie downplays it. That's the thing. Like, it's not... There's a very real, important trauma here, but because the movie treats it in such a lighthearted way, it encourages you to see it as invalid. Yeah, she is, she is complaining about having to be perfect and gorgeous in one aesthetic, as opposed to being perfect and gorgeous in a different aesthetic. It's different hats. It It's not, there is something categorically wrong with what I'm being asked to do. It's just, I don't agree with the drapes. Which, again, that's, that's very dismissive. And I'm not trying to dismiss the character's pain. But you can see how, from a storytelling mechanism perspective, I just don't feel that it clicked. In any other circumstance, she is the Disney princess complaining about how her life is perfect. Yeah. Right? Like... She's the same archetype. There's a reason she has Elsa's uh, dance training. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, in the situation I was describing with me and my sister, we were equal. She wasn't a wizard. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the... Bi- There's always going to be the asterisk who are wizards in all this yeah, conversation. Uh, yeah, it's... Oh, God. I don't know. I, you're, you remember how Lilo and Stitch is incredible... And and you sort of wind up wishing there was less alien nonsense going on, or less Elvis nonsense going on. I'll give you less Elvis. Focus on that absolutely gorgeous, emotionally resonant core of the two sisters. I almost wish this movie didn't have the magic. I, I almost wish the only magical thing here was the house. Maybe like all you all you really need is the safe haven kind of scenario, uh, because. What matters here is the expectations placed on everybody. Like, that's what's emotionally relevant. The powers are practically unimportant. They're just a way to, you know, slap the character's personality writ large right on their fucking faces. And, you know, inform what their personal anxiety disorder is is pivoting on. Because everyone in this fucking movie... Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... There is a genre of Latin American literature, and I understand it also shows up in art and cinema, known as magical realism. You've probably heard the term. The place I understand it to largely start is in Latin America, um, with authors who, if I was a better intellectual, I would be able to rattle them off. <laughs> well, I mean, even just in, like, like the, the thing about uh, Spanish-language soap operas versus... Telenovelas. Yeah, uh, versus the American ones. I open my mouth to say, as I remember that American soap operas do eventually devolve into, like, time travel and shit, don't they? But, yeah. I, you know, there, there is a much more overt magical realism in telenovelas, as I understand it as someone who only has secondhand Yeah, the stuff that has escaped the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. That's the a stuff that has achieved escape it. velocity of the, yeah. The, the thing with magical realism in uh, the art and literature is I... I want to say one of them, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out here, and I'm gonna look like an idiot if I get this wrong. But one of them is Hundred Years of Solitude, which is a novel which follows like literally a century of different characters in the history of Mexico 
jumping around back and forth. There's time travel and characters saying things in one time and it's continuing a conversation in another time. It's all very complex. uh, And I haven't read it. I've read the much, much easier Like Water for Chocolate, which is a, a essentially a um, a book. Uh, it's a magical realist book about the period of the Mexican Civil War and what it's like to grow up and love and live in that situation and also to fuck through food and things like arranged families and <laughs> recipes and whatnot. It's a really, really weird book to me as a Westerner. Sugar, you know, so There's a passage in the book where a woman cooks food for her sister's husband that's so good he comes at the table and it's like an act of infidelity because yeah yeah they, they cheated through cuisine yeah and also someone uses a match to explode a forest because her love burns that passionately it's it's a it's an interesting book and the point is that there is this vision in a lot of western literature that magic is this very distinct thing that like there are magic doers and there are non-magic doers and there is the magic doing and then the non-magic doing in times and places. And, like, you know, there's rituals and things associated with it. Whereas in a lot of these magical realism, it's a matter of, like, no, the magic is everywhere. And sometimes it will bubble up into life and sometimes it won't. And there's not a, a specialness to it necessarily. And I'm very much simplifying the genre. It works like music does in musicals. Yes. It's, it, it is a sort of force of the, uh, a force of nature that is a background presence, uh, until you needed to help you express something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like not having magic bullshit in this movie would probably have been a wasted opportunity <laughs> for Disney to do a magical realism uh, um, story. So the same token, they should have taken the swing. I, I tend to agree, but I also think that, like, imagine the fuckers on YouTube being like, well, this isn't explained. How does the magic even work? Possibly. Now, I said that I think that this movie would be better if it was like a 4 out of 10 complexity. Because <laughs> I was thinking, what if the magical realism is, what if grandma died? What if grandma has been dead for like years? <laughs> She's just literally haunting the place. And and the thing isn't even grandma. <sighs> it's the abuse and trauma version of grandma. And that when they dispel that and they understand one another, they hang, they go, hang on, this isn't actually what she was like. This is just all we can remember because this is all that we can hold on to in this situation, blah, blah, blah. Just you know. uh, How is that less complex? Well, it, it, this is a ghost made <laughs> of the only memories you can hold on to of a person when they contributed that much to both your your essential self but also to your damage <laughs> that's incredible talon well it was, but the thing is it also would be like oh there's it's a, because grandma's evil there's a ghost you can beat at the end yeah yeah sure, sure. It, it would be a very different thing and it would be it would mean that like you know the speech where you tell grandma to go get stuffed would actually like dispel a ghost but like like i said that that's just how i would do it but i'm not part of this and a big part of this movie because it is centrist disney bullshit is that everyone in the end was pretty much on the level and everyone was pretty much right and it was just a big miscommunication that gave a room full of wizards trauma anxiety grandma was just scared of losing everything again and by everything we mean like a couple of very important things but very crucially not everything yeah like i don't know a lot of mothers who would describe 
escaping a dangerous situation with all three of their triplets as losing everything. And their community. Yeah, actually, yeah. It's not clear in the original instruction, sorry, it's not clear in, in the original description at the beginning of the movie, but when we, like, see a flashback of it later on, most of those people who are in uh, in the encounter are, like, came with them. Yeah. Hmm, that's remarkable. She lost much worse than everything. She lost one person that meant everything. That should have been brought much more to the fore. Like, I just wanted her to admit... <sighs> Does she even apologize to our main character? Like, she snubs off apologizing to everybody else, which really got on my tits, but I don't even recall her apologizing. She kind of says something to the effect of, well, I was wrong in the group shot when she approaches the ruin of the house. But notably, um, Bruno's not there. (laughs) There's a point where she says, it's because of me. Yeah, that's right. And that's the closest we ever get. Like, that is that is an admission of guilt. But our main character has to immediately walk that back by saying, No, 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 you you did everything for us. But... Yeah. No, stop it. Just go, yeah, and I'm glad you noticed it. Now maybe we can fix things. And and that again is that, that, centrist, lib- that, that centrist liberal Disney bullshit, mm-hmm. which is... <laughs> some people can just be wrong. Some old people. Some old people who are sad can just be wrong. It's, it's okay. And indeed, in the coming years, we're going to have a lot of old people apologize to us. I mean, in a just world. And we're not going to be able to make things feel better for them by just accepting the apology. There are things that are damaged and things that are broken. And I think this movie's vision of forgiveness is it's a thing you receive as a gift and not... It's a thing you make with what you do. Well, this movie doesn't understand gifts <laughs> fundamentally. Like yeah. that, I was waiting. I was waiting for this entire movie to for someone to say, "No, the reason it's a gift is because you don't get it automatically. It's because you're not entitled to it. You don't have to earn it or deserve it." Uh, but nobody went there in yeah. much the same way as nobody went to like. Yeah, but Grandma, you did actually do this, and you do get the chance to apologize, and we can accept an apology. But they could have, they could have done that. They could have done that. Yeah. Like you don't have to knock her back. You don't have to make her evil. You can accept her apology. But if you're gonna do that, then you accept her apology. You don't immediately knock it back. Yeah. With you don't diminish it. You don't diminish it. Yeah, exactly. Especially when someone has has worked out that they are wrong and feels they have something to apologize for. You don't immediately go. You don't have to apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, I hated that resolution so much. Uh, I wonder if some of this is that invisible cultural context that we don't have, like. Maybe what Grandma does is unthinkably humble and apologetic. If you are close to these cultures, if you've been in this kind of family situation, maybe what she's doing is as massive an act as it would be for your grandmother to go, sorry, I was a bitch who drove away everyone. But 
if it is, I I don't, I can't emotionally appreciate it without that context. It just seems like she's getting away with it after one fight. But yeah, no, you're right. I I, I think that you are right, and I think that there that uh, I I think for me, I'm very glad that this movie has the shield of there might be cultural things I don't understand <laughs> and gaps I do not appreciate. It was very unsatisfying. Yeah. And, and I think that's, like, without bearing my whole ass on the podcast and making this about <laughs> something that's much less fun than, hey, let's go talk about Chicago movies, um, it feels to me like no one got what they should have for a good story. I'll agree to that. Mm really mad at everyone for bruno she drove her son to live in the walls and he fucking wrote his name on a table and drew a plate because he wanted to be included she had so beaten him in his head that he could not imagine leaving leave these families these are a bad family get the fuck away from them leave the big himbo sister a note saying you need to get away too and Maybe Isabella will, in the fracture, be able to scoot because, hey, she's gorgeous, so apparently that counts for everything. And leave get her a, s- a note. Sorry. Leave, leave, leave her a note saying, you know, okay, you need to get away from this, and also I have some very nice friends. Uh, you should meet Teresa in particular. And, and, like, you know, maybe just get the fuck away from this. There are worse things in the world than breaking a bad family. And I remember, actually, now I remember, this was a thing that came up. Before we watch this movie, one of your podcasts, one of your... Oh, this, uh, you, you're recalling me listening to OSP. That's right. Uh, Overly Sarcastic Productions. end of one of the long, just ad-lib live streams where opinions about stuff. Uh, right near the end, someone asked her, her opinion of Encanto. And she's very much along the same lines as you. She was like, yeah, I get that there are people with different experiences and different trauma who need different messages out of this movie. But for me... This was not a good resolution. Where just, you know, ah, oh, they loved you after all. That's cool. I don't care if they loved me. I care that they fix what they hurt. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm glad that they did actually have to break things. Yeah. That was a highlight. Like, I, I felt L- like maybe... A little bit was... shitty that they immediately got it back. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean... Because everyone in town loved them so much. You know, that that one magical, special, extra good thing owned by the family of wizards that all the poor people in town who had come here as refugees, we will give of our own stuff to repair what you have because we don't have much, but we'll fix your shit. And oh, look, it's magical again now. You were momentarily inconvenienced. To be fair, I don't think anybody in this village was poor. They say in the song lyrics, we don't have much. Yeah, I feel like that's more involved than anything. Like, this is a fucking utopia. It's true. It's also it's also American style. You know, ah, yes, everyone perceives themselves as a hardworking member of the middle class. Fuck off. And they are at least very specific that this family exists for the sake of the community. Mm. So, I mean, that's another pressure that doesn't justify keeping a keeping people in a situation they're not happy in but we're definitely never going to address that we're One, not going to address the family specifically we're sure as shit not going to address the family the community responsibility one of the things they do for the community is eavesdrop on literally everything that pal was a little creepy i wish they hadn't given that to anyone and we have a capricious weather wizard with anxiety who could <laughs> wreck the crops if she had a shitty mood that was so fucking uh, but again, 
that's the reality they're setting down. The fact that I find it horrifying is not the point. I'm we trying to approach this movie on its own terms. <laughs> we can just agree that some of the powers had more community application than others. Yeah. Like, I doubt the shapeshifter was... Well, he used power to be shitty and annoying to everyone. Oh, wait, hang on. This is about a bunch of really awful people getting superpowers. Oh, oh, why is this so hard? No, no, we're taking it as intended. Yeah, we're taking it as intended. We're taking it as intended. Let's get the fuck out of here. Do you want anything for Whateverland? I love that there were capybaras. Also nice to see rats. The rats were super cute. A good rap in a Disney movie. Uh, It's another reason that we know Bruno was great. Uh, before we stop talking about abuse. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fantingly wingly pixie that. Uh, I was going to add to your previous forced her son to live in the walls. What what really got me was the, the scene where Bruno rides in right at the end and tries to fall upon Grandma's wrath to save oh, yeah. the younger sibling because that is, like, that is... An incredibly real abuse uh, scenario behavior that is seen among siblings. Uh, And there was just no other way for me to see that moment. (laughs) But then he he fell off the horse because he's so wacky and goofy. And (laughs) Look, it's funny that he thought she'd be, you know, angrily disowning this disobedient child. It's funny. It's funny because he was wrong. She wasn't that bad all along. Yeah, it's not as funny as it thinks it is. Um, anyway, whatever land. Uh, gosh, capybaras are cute. Capybaras are very cute. Um, again, the Kwati. It's so cute seeing Kwati. Yeah, nicely animated jaguar. Nice toucan. I thought that. I thought the toucan was gonna become like a full-on animal companion for the movie, uh, but that didn't really pan out. But neither did the child stick around, which I kind of liked because I didn't really want a kid sidekick for this movie. The one thing that kind of gets on my tits about Moana is the the constant presence of animal sidekicks that I do not care about. Uh, uh, nice to see rats, uh, getting, getting a good, good, nice, good, wholesome representation in a Disney movie. Bruno's a really good guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I like his crinkly hair for that matter. He, uh, he did not get treated very well by this story. And obviously I like Louisa. Uh, and, and I feel as much as anyone in that situation was blameless. Uh, I, I feel for her as just a good hearted himbo stuck in a very stupid situation. Did you notice that they brought up Hercules and didn't show you Disney's Hercules? That's <laughs> because Disney's Hercules is shit. Yep. <laughs> sorry, Disney's Hercules fans. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that they are fans of a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, you, you deserved better, but not much better. After all, you like Disney's Hercules. <laughs> tell, tell, he's so fighty. Uh, but, well, broadly speaking, I guess, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh... Well, speaking broadly of abuse structures that make me angry in an overwhelming way, want to talk about capitalism? (laughs) Sure, nothing could go wrong with that. Do you think this movie made more or less than Raya? Man, it's so hard to predict these now in the weird era of half-cinematic releases and early pushing to streaming services, and I have no idea what to expect from this. Raya... I definitely liked Raya more. Uh, but there's catchy songs and Lin-Manuel's bags, a lot of musical numbers going on. Eh, a bit more. Uh, this made 256 to Raya's 130. Ooh, a lot more. 
You gotta remember, Raya Oh, also... that's right, Raya was fucking gutted. It never got a cinematic release at all. It got a one-month cinematic release. Oh, that's nothing. And made nothing. Yeah. And they also tried to sell $30 stream tickets to it, which... Oh, God, yeah, that fucking disaster. I don't know if Encanto did that too, but uh, $30 ain't it, Disney. Yeah, $30 single screening at home. Oh, you fucking what, mate? Uh... Yeah, so I, I, yeah, that was a bad guess, but I'm not ashamed. The rules mean nothing anymore. We live in a mad world. Uh huh. And that's it. Uh, what did they make next? Uh, no idea, because we're fucking done. Yeah, well, I mean, we're we, done. we know a bunch about we're the movie done. that's coming out in November, but I don't remember it. Do you? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's something superhero y. The first time since Encanto that I didn't know what they were making next oh Mm -hmm. maybe we'll watch it and if we really like it we'll do a cannonball on that so we don't have to end on this fucking downer because oh that's a this is kind of a foul one to go out on isn't it just a real disappointment i feel like i'm projecting too much of my emotional energy on you where the more i think about this movie the more angry i get because like you were like this movie's you know, 7 out of 10, kind of, could be better, could be worse, and I'm sitting here under a fuming cloud. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, I, I said it was a 7 out of 10 on complexity, not quality. Mm. I didn't like this movie. Okay. Even if this movie wasn't dealing with a bunch of really heavy themes in a way that I find way too lighthearted to appreciate, um, I also just didn't enjoy the pacing, or emotionally connect to the characters, or enjoy the visuals for the most part. The songs were enjoyable. That's more or less the extent of my appreciation. <laughs> this don't do not get the impression that I liked this and you didn't. Oh, I'm really glad because I'm I I can tell I'm sitting here fuming. <laughs> nah. <laughs> what what I meant when I said that seven out of ten was like it was halfway to treating incredibly serious subject matter in an incredibly serious fashion, but they were too much cowards to fully go with it and uh in way too deep to pull it back to the point where it could almost be like ironic humor and they just wound up in the middle in a place that was deeply unsatisfying returning us once more to liberal disney centrist bullshit (laughs) that i mean in retrospect now that we now that we have survived the entirety of this library and this podcast Looking back on our final season that we weren't really sure how to characterize it in the first place, wouldn't it be entirely fitting to describe this as the era of Disney-centrist liberal bullshit? I mean, this is the perfect thing to talk about when we do the season recap! (laughs) Let's save it for then!